0: Hello and welcome to Digfinvox Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James Azio. If you enjoy the program, give us a like and let the YouTube algorithm do its work. My guest today is Rama Sridhar, Executive Vice President at MasterCard in Singapore. She's responsible for a wide range of activities from new payment flows, fintech partnerships, and digital economy. The big question is, can the global processing giants like MasterCard continue to enjoy the same success in this brave new world of new customer segments and new technologies? Ramas from MasterCard, welcome to Vox. My
1: pleasure. Thank you for having me again.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm delighted to have you. Uh, and you have been doing a lot of really interesting work there. You're involved with uh, digital economy, new partnerships, new payment flows, all the cool stuff going on in payments in Asia today. So how did just really quickly just introduce your, your background. How did you end up in, in, in this fascinating role?
1: Um, by design and by accident, a mix of both, actually. Um, so I've done a few resets in my career. I started with technology and moved to banking. Um, and then I strayed into payments and stuck with it. Uh, and now, uh, you know, a decade or so later, I realized payments is also about technology. So in some sense, my career has almost come full circle from where I started right back to technology. Uh, yes. And that is my first love. So yes. marrying technology in the to, to solve problems of commerce is really where it all comes together and payments is at that pointy edge of it. And that stayed as my passion. And then you know, in the last few years, we've seen so much of technology-led transformation of businesses that it looked like the next big opportunity. And when this chance to lead uh, digital and uh, partnerships with digital platforms came along, that just felt like something that I would just jump at because it was so core to my own personal
0: passion. That's, that's, that's amazing. And it's, it's kind of funny in a way that, you know, you start off as a tech person and then in payments, nobody really thought about that at all. It was probably a very quiet part of the business. And then in the past, five to 10 years, it's just, uh, it's just taken over everything, right? Correct. Correct.
1: And 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 I think going forward, if you think about it, it's technology, which is driving business decisioning, growth decisioning, and, and all of those things, because the technology stacks of relevance of 20 years back, 30, 40 years back is perhaps also under siege and challenge as well. So it's a very interesting point in payments, in technology, and the confluence of both as well.
0: Let's talk about that. MasterCard, along with uh, Visa, of course, and, and, and a few others have uh, you know, roots going back to the 1960s. So you've got, you've got legacy uh, and you, know, you guys have dominated the, the credit card and many other aspects of payments processing around the world. Um, but yet, as you notice, as you noted, uh, there is a legacy technology issue. I know you guys do a lot of partnerships and we'll talk about that, but let's talk about the legacy business, particularly when you're dealing with Asian or emerging markets. Uh, how, how suitable is the, is that today and what have you been able to do to, to make sure that what you're working on is uh, keeping up with this fast paced environment?
1: so um certainly uh, being a maybe a 55 60 year old company is is also an advantage although the moment we talk about legacy technology stacks uh, it's always construed as a handicap hmm. uh, i first want to frame the opportunity side of it right
0: okay it's
1: a technology stack that's been around being tested for trillions of dollars of transactions, tested through the times, has morphed with the evolution of protocols of transmission messaging that have evolved, not just in one market, but throughout the globe. And therefore there is a certain level of robustness, resilience, market dexterity, security of the transaction of the account of the customer that's built in I think all of that together is totally priceless. Coupled with the fact that you're actually settling across 168 currencies in more than 200 markets of the world, I think there is something to be said for the size scale experience of the core technology stack that these companies have, right? Yeah. Now, if you you think about it, what does that make? Uh, The network, it makes it one of the original fintechs of the world, because that's really what fintechs are trying to do. Now, the real question, and a very pertinent one, is what are you doing to adapt to changing times? So then that begs the question on what is changing? What is changing is who is uh, driving transactions from a consumer perspective, or from a small merchant perspective or a business perspective is changing. It is evolving. It is no longer the domain only of the big banks, right? And that's a trend that we obviously uh, adapted to by opening up collaborations, partnerships, and uh, seamlessly incorporating all of these new client segments, whether they are social media platforms, the big tech platforms, marketplaces, device manufacturers, telcos, everyone is now a customer, which was perhaps not the case earlier, right? So that's one big thing and and governments as well. The second thing really is when you think about what has changed and how, how we adapt, form factors have changed. Now plastic, which was the only way of doing business, has also evolved to doing transactions on the mobile phone, uh, tap on phone transactions in place of swipe and dip. Um, QR codes, and particularly through COVID, we've seen an explosion in QR codes. Uh, Payment rails have evolved. And we have adapted to that as well. Cards used to be the only rails. Account payment rails have taken off like nothing else, particularly in Asia we've adapted to that as well. So if you maybe that's that kind of gives you a flavor of how the company has adapted as the evolution uh, happens and and will continue to happen.
0: There's a question around who is using these uh, digital wallets you mentioned the accounts same thing uh, versus who would be a traditional whether it's a consumer or a merchant that would use a, a credit card, for example, which is you know the bread and butter for a group like Mastercard. So, in Asia, just citing some some research that that you guys had put out recently, I saw that you're now by 2025 estimating that this region will have 2.6 uh, 2.6 billion users of a digital account, um, digital wallet of some kind, uh, moving up to seven trillion dollars worth of goods and services, that's a very large number. My question is, are these the same people that would be a credit card user uh, or receiving a a credit card from say a bank? Because we're not talking about, you know, is this apples and apples or apples and pears?
1: Clearly not, right? So I think the 2.6 billion users, uh, yes, there will be some who are also credit card users, but um, I think Mostly, it is an expansion of the market. It is the digital inclusion that is playing out. It's the financial inclusion that's playing out. So, uh, you know, those that did not have bank accounts or those that had bank accounts that were not digital enough are now perhaps going to use the wallets as a quasi bank account. And that is the population that we are referring to. So, from our perspective, they are additive. To the, to the credit base that you're probably already working with and which will logically grow at its own organic rate. Yes. The second uh, big uh, additive, I think, to the demographic is the fact that when we introduce products like uh, installment purchases, that also expands the credit segment to include perhaps uh, the younger demographic, the new-to-credit demographic, which, is, which has been on debit mostly. Mm-hmm. And that, again, adds to the uh, population that was perhaps only operating with the credit instrument. So I think the short answer really is uh, there will be significant new populations which will come in and use these rails through various instruments, wallets being one of them and um, that I think from our perspective is definitely new market share that we would like to tap into.
0: How do you do that from a, a PL perspective? So you have partnerships, you can work with fintechs, you can work with the digital banks, you can work with uh, all kinds of you know, telcos you reference, other you know, consumer-facing groups to, to try to reach some of these new market uh, segments, people that may not have a traditional bank account. But do you, in terms of the, the way that you get paid, uh, helping process these transactions or the, or the incentives for banks when they're issuing a credit card to a consumer from a fee point of view versus if, if a consumer is operating on a, a wallet from you know, a, a consumer facing app, uh, does it add up? Does it make sense for you to be able to go into these new markets uh, in a sustainable, profitable way?
1: I think there is no singular answer for that one really, um, because there is a economics that plays at the high ticket transactions and you know, the larger merchants. But when you're looking at small ticket transactions, smaller micro merchants, we will obviously be very aligned with how the economics of the domestic market also evolves, right? Because in order to be relevant and in order to be having a credible play with the merchants, with the consumers, uh, you've got to to play at the level at which they find it attractive to do business with you. I think without going too much into the detail of it, That is probably logical as a starting point, and that would also be a guiding factor for how we approach doing business with newer client segments, newer newer transaction vectors. There is no singular answer because some the markets perform at different um, price points, and that will also dictate uh, our own approach to a market i don't think globally there is one way of doing business we have to be quite uh, local in the way we adapt our own market penetration strategies
0: and in asia that's always a challenge because every local market uh, even though they might be quite substantial uh, is very different from one place to the next um, this is true. yes how how do you juggle those tensions i mean all all international businesses have this ha- have this tension how do you have a philosophy in terms of what makes sense you know how do you go into india versus in indonesia versus the philippines
1: i think a bit of it is what i said right earlier um to understand where the resilience of the network is your asset and to understand where contextualization for the market or the use case Uh, is a need, I think is extremely important. I'm not even saying there can be a a developed and developing answer. At every market level, who constitutes the major ecosystem players? What is the current composition of the market? What is the level of penetration? What's the urban-rural mix? What kind of transactions? Where is the propensity for shift? I think all of those go into deciding what the market uh, uh, strategy can look like.
0: An aspect of this, we're talking about digital wallets, people that may not have a traditional bank account, people in a variety of markets. Uh, Financial inclusion is is a big part of that. Uh, When does financial inclusion work in really nuts and bolts ways versus being a, a buzzword?
1: It works when you actually can do stuff with the money that is in your account isn't it when that when that when doing an electronic transaction on an account actually opens up possibilities for further growth okay when these electronic transactions when you are financially included that then it should open up the possibility of you transacting in multiple environments electronically, then there is wide use for it. It should also have enable you to access credit if you have never been able to do so before. It should be able to provide you a transaction history where if you are a micro entrepreneur or a small entrepreneur, you're actually able to secure meaningful capital to scale your business, Um, that is when financial inclusion actually creates a broad-based impact on the wider economy and creates what I call the digital dividends at a macroeconomic level. Otherwise, it is a buzzword, like you said, right? I mean, having a bank account is not equal to financial inclusion in my mind.
0: Yes, okay. So the bank account itself is not inclusion. It's only the the most basic starting point. Um, But are you quite optimistic what you're seeing? Do you think financial inclusion is making meaningful headway in the region?
1: I think yes is the short answer. What I'm encouraged by is it is front and center for the regulators. Every regulator in this region has a plan and, and a mission to, to create a um, cashless uh, environment. Now, whether it becomes truly cashless from a 70% cash region, uh, that's debatable. But to me, the direction of travel is firm. There is ownership at the central bank level, which is great. There is significant investment at the uh, private sector level to create uh, the applications and the use cases. Um, and there is digital public good infrastructure stacks that have emerged, for example, in India, which has completely lifted huge swathes of the population to start doing digital transactions. And then there you have the technology players who recognize both the opportunity uh, and the size of the market and, and are coming in to solve for consumer experience through the digital platforms, which again is, is, is what is required to create the tailwind for the whole movement. So there's a ton of things happening, not one entity structures doing it, but when you piece it together, I feel like there is, there is a significant momentum in the ecosystem. Having said that, the only thing I will say is, while a lot is happening, within nations or within concentrated parts of nations, democratizing this across ecosystems and not just for e-commerce purchases, for example, is important. Two, when we have a connected community, understanding how we can bring this together uh, across ecosystems and guarding against closed loop plays. Or, 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 you know, islands of information is also a risk that we need to uh, manage. The third one is as this momentum builds up, we have to understand the more digital you are, the more exposed to uh, cyber uh, insecurities, right? And therefore investing in security infrastructure and making sure transactions are secure is also an important um, thing to do, right? Yes. And there's a last one that I'm very fond of, you know. In, when transactions go digital, they first are domestic and then seamlessly go global. And in that transference continuum, I think what does legislation implications look like and what are the variances to be solved is I think a body of work that needs to evolve yet.
0: Thank you. I want to switch gears for a moment. You're a technologist uh, by background and by passion. Uh, what are some of the technologies that you have been grappling with that are interesting to you, or that you've had to be cautious about? What What does that lay of the land look like from the tech slash fintech perspective? So, so one
1: area in which I feel like I'm still quite the starter is this whole crypto world. Um, Because, not because I'm not a believer, I actually am completely uh, open minded about where this could take us. And in fact, I think there is a significant opportunity that it opens up. But it is, it is a space, which again, uh, because I like the the regulatory framework and the compliance part of it is very important Uh, from a consideration perspective. I feel that it still needs to play out uh, and it's not done. So I'm kind of grappling with that. The other one really is everyone talks about metaverse. Uh, I I will be honest and say that's a space again where I feel, there's a lot of ambition, aspiration and possibility. Uh, I, I would still kind of keep uh, options open because at one level, there is a significant ex- market expansion opportunity there. Uh, but at another level, um, what is the cost of doing business in the metaverse? You know What do you really need? Is it all these bulky equipments at high cost? Does that mean it's not inclusive enough? All of those are valid questions, right? And those are uh, not yet resolved in my mind.
0: Yeah, sometimes these technologies can look good and then they may or may not work out. I mean, right now we're going through a serious consolidation phase around buy now, pay later apps. Right. Um, they've had, uh, whether you you like them or dislike them for their, their business model uh, or what they are meant to provide to either consumers or merchants. Um, the space at the most basic level doesn't seem to make money. <laughs> so, um, how do you how have you approached these things? How do you obviously you need to engage with um, whether it's buy now pay later or other types of fintech models? Um, what, what's the way you kind of engage with them, hedge them, uh, you know, risk manage new things?
1: So it's not just buy now, pay later, right? So it is this whole difference between uh, working with players who are uh, nascent in the industry, if I may say so, irrespective of what the underlying business model is. uh, And, and, you know, while working with them, we need to support them, but also defend the franchise against uh, undesirable events, right? Uh, particularly failures. So we do that uh, historically with the franchise um, reviews. We we work very carefully with the players. We we tend to pick with great thought. We also work with a lot of enablers, processors who actually work with the smaller players so that, um, you know, there is a, space and runway for their own growth while they figure out how to scale themselves up or some of them even fail. So there is a risk hedge as you call it in, in the business model, in the distribution channel construct that we are already approaching with. I think that's probably the best way
0: to summarize it. You mentioned crypto as something that's interesting, but still needs to have that compliance feature worked out by regulators. Um, what else has been working? What's exciting right now? So real-time
1: payments is working. It's working really well. I think our engagement with digital banks. We we work with most of the big players. Um, you know, our, our expansion. Uh, I think. With travel coming back, we will see a lot of travel related spends that's working really well. Uh, Our engagement across digital platforms, I think merchants are increasingly wanting to do tokenized transactions, which is very helpful because um, you're increasing the security in the entire ecosystem. So digitization, of uh, what is visible and what is not visible, that is really working well. Uh, there is a seamless co-opting into interoperable uh, network rails, um, which used to be a bit of an opportunity a few years back when I started. That I think is, is working very well. Two wallets is, is just one example. The fintech players, the crypto players for on-ramping and off-ramping, all of that is, I think, working really, really well. Um, the space that we would watch is obviously the Web 3.0 metaverse, slightly out there, longer longer horizon. Um, but I think within what we are currently equipped to do and what the ecosystem is equipped to do, I think we're in a reasonably good space on the, on the digitization front, um, both on the account payment side and also on the card payment side
0: yes last sort of techie question is interoperability and i guess standards is part of that question where is the biggest gap right now that you're hoping or working on to close
1: um i think there are there are two sets of gaps today and a third one that's emerging the first set of gap really is uh, within within the country itself, within every country, there are islanded plays that are emerging, um, and they have been there, right? So the wallet ecosystems was a completely closed loop play. Um, Interacting across wallets was an opportunity, which I think um, we, we, we have gone after significantly. The second area where I think interoperability is an opportunity is really in cross-border payments, uh, particularly trade flows, uh, particularly um, across fintechs and banks. At this point in time, this is uh, an opportunity that the central banks are going after as well, because there is a need to, to facilitate seamless Um, remittance transactions, not just for the white collar workers, but for the blue collar workers as well. So interoperability across domains in cross border payments, I think is an opportunity. The third one where I, I am watching it carefully is even in this whole blockchain led world, what is happening is there are so many permission blockchains within a blockchain ecosystem But what it really means is there are multiple uh, blockchain islands that are developing. How uh, plays within each island and then across islands will interoperate is not understood yet and it has not been figured out. So that I think will be a third big problem Uh, that will emerge and will need to be solved. Effectively, every time a new uh, way of doing business, a new client segment, a new technology comes into play, first it starts off growing for its own niche thing, then it kind of grows into a fairly big size, then they want to protect. So many islands form and then the islands start collapsing when you realize that playing together is better than playing silo. So I think we will see the same movie play out a few more times.
0: Okay. Rama, we've talked about uh, financial inclusion in the industry. Uh, what about uh, MasterCard and the industry itself? Uh, do you feel that um, you know, the, the workforce is representative of the populations that you're serving? Well, diversity and
1: inclusion is, uh, is, is front and center of MasterCard's people agenda. And there's a lot of information in the public on that one. Um, And so I can definitely uh, vouch for the fact that we take the DNI agenda very uh, seriously and make sure that our workforce is representative of the populations that we would like to engage with. So I think that's probably uh, an absolute answer that I can give you in affirmative. Um, In terms of my own engagement, Uh, I offer myself up for mentorship. I I do that um, with a lot of uh, employees within the company, but also, interestingly, uh, I do a lot of work with uh, people in the industry outside the company, right? And um, startup founders, I I work with in, in the healthcare space, Uh, that's another personal passion because I want to do something for women's health. Um, I do uh, try and do enough work on the philanthropy side as well. So I think just in terms of being engaged in the wider society is something that each one of us has to do as a personal responsibility. I'm very conscious of that.
0: Well, it sounds like you have uh, not just work talents, but uh, a huge range of interests and, and passions and that you're able to execute on many of them. At, that's uh, very impressive uh, and uh, you know, great to see. So thanks for sharing that, Rama. Uh, I've really enjoyed having you on Digfin Vox and just want to say thank you for your time.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed uh, the conversation. You've kept it freewheeling as ever. And, and I, I hope—I certainly hope I was able to address most of those questions.
0: I'm sure, I'm Thank sure you. the audience will, 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 will say yes to that. Thank you so much, Rama Stradhar from MasterCard.